talk to you about bitterness with a side of envy. And so we're going to talk about the definition of these strongholds as well as the description and get into the entry points or the doorways. We're also going to talk about the health consequences and then get into the word, talk about what God has to say about this stuff, and then at the end, talk about some practical application tools that you can use to head toward your journey of forgiveness and gratitude. I'm really excited to be here to talk to you about this stuff today. It sounds kind of strange that I'm excited to talk about bitterness and envy, but the reason is because I love to talk about getting to a bigger place of freedom in your relationship with Jesus. And I followed Jesus for a long time before I learned about the authority that I had in my relationship with him. And I didn't understand that there was an enemy out to get me and that he was planning specifically against me and scheming specifically against me. And when I learned that that was going on and I had authority and power in my relationship with Jesus to overcome that, that was a game changer for me in my faith. And I began to see why I had unhealthy patterns and thought patterns in my life and, and began to break those strongholds and just walk out into a greater place of freedom, smack dab in the middle of where God wanted me and my purpose and so I love to talk about that with other people. So today we're going to get into bitterness, and I'll share with you some of my story along the way, and hopefully that'll help you see that it's not so scary to forgive. One of the things specifically uh, that struck me about bitterness is that I had not really ever thought of that word outside of hearing about the bitter old lady down the street or something like that. So. I didn't think that that was something that was going to be a concern for me on my radar. And I actually said out loud about myself many times, oh, I'm a very forgiving person. But what that really meant was that I, on the surface, was saying I forgive you and things like that, but I was just kind of letting stuff go. But on the inside, I was keeping track of how people hurt me. And I would make decisions about them based on what they had done to me and maybe withhold something from them or even draw conclusions about my own self-worth. And more importantly, I'd never forgave myself. I didn't even know that it was a thing to forgive yourself. And so I had a long list of hurts that um, and, and accusations against myself that I held on to. And so uh, to understand that, that I could get freedom and forgiveness, forgiving myself and others was huge um, and exciting for me. So let's get into it. Let's just start simply with the definitions. And the first one is bitterness. Your definition of bitterness is a separation resulting from unforgiveness for wrongs or felt wrongs coupled with the desire to continue in separation or payback. So bitterness is a separation resulting from unforgiveness. And unforgiveness can be anywhere in your life where somebody has hurt you and 
you did not make the choice to forgive them, even if you haven't seen them in 10 years or anything. So it's separation resulting from unforgiveness for wrongs or felt wrongs. You felt it. What really happened, who knows, but you felt like someone wronged you, coupled with the desire to continue in separation or payback. Let's take a look at that definition, envy. Envy is a discontented state of wanting for something else. Keyword, discontented. A discontented state of wanting for something else. Let's get into the doorways. So um, you've learned a little bit about strongholds already, and um, just to review, the doorways are the ways that these strongholds get in and set up camp. They're the entry points. And so for bitterness and envy, here are the uh, entry point opportunities, um, the ways that they can get in. The first one is generational. I like to say this is when we get it honest, you're just kind of boring with it. Maybe generations back something happened in your family, someone didn't forgive. Um, whatever happened, there was a stronghold of bitterness set up and it just sunk deep into the genes in your family and, and uh, you get it honest. Um, another one is a hurt of any kind. And so at this point, I just wanna encourage you to start to think about, as we go through this, this topic, start to think about times when you've been hurt. And just invite the Holy Spirit to come along and sort of get in a marination conversation with the Holy Spirit that you would have these hurts brought to mind and you could just start to make a list of them. And as you do that, it might there's something might come up you haven't thought of in 10 years. And if it does, just trust that God wants to bring some healing there and go ahead and write it down. So you might be thinking, okay, Kelly, so you're telling me to excavate like my entire life from birth and reflect on every time I had pain. Well, yeah, kind of. However, I'm asking you to do that in faith that God has some big freedom and healing for you on the other side. And before we go any further, one more thing I want to clarify. Nothing that we're going to talk about is going to in any way justify terrible things that happen to you. Some of you that are um, in this class have been through terrible trauma. You've been wronged. There have been injustices against you. And those things were wrong. And nothing about this is going to give that person an excuse or give them permission to hurt you again uh, or anything like that. This isn't about them. This is about you and your relationship with your Heavenly Father. And bringing even more reconciliation there, more closeness, um, and, and getting more freedom. So be encouraged this, that this doesn't in any way justify what happened to you. So back to those doorways. Um, play, people that hurt you, places where you felt rejected, um, disappointment. Disappointment can be an entry point. Who's disappointed you? Um, maybe you've been a disappointment to yourself. Um, also consider memories that are unpleasant. If you have a memory that comes up and it continues to be oogie when you think of it, you might want to consider that as an entry point of bitterness. I mean, maybe something happened in middle school. I kind of think for most people, middle school itself 
could be an entry point. Maybe it's the way that you lost your virginity. Maybe it's a divorce. There are lots of painful opportunities for us to set up bitterness. Taking offenses of any kind. When was the last time that you took an offense? Were you cut off in traffic? Or maybe someone made a comment that was really offensive to you? Um, are you easily offended? Uh, is it hard to let go of stuff like that? An offense can be an entry point. So let's get into the description. A little more about bitterness. Bitterness is a willingness to feel badly about someone else or a perverse pleasure in someone else's shortcomings. So a willingness to feel badly about someone else. I love that word willingness and it makes me think of when I was in college I had, uh, a, I had conflict with my roommate and it was really ugly conflict. We were really close, tight friends, and this conflict was, we're getting new roommates and living in different dorms, that kind. We had about three weeks left before the end of the semester when we could escape to back home for summer. But for those three weeks, I would see her on campus, and when I would see her, I would have to remember that I was mad at her. And in things would happen to me and I would my first thought was oh I can't wait to call her and tell her she'll be so excited for me or oh I can't wait to see her before you know when I'm walking across campus we always see each other at a certain time I can't wait to see her so I can tell her this and my first thought would be oh and then I would have to remember and I just think of that um, that willingness to feel badly about someone else that I would see her coming and I would remember to give her a mean look because I was really mad at her and it was draining actually. So a perverse pleasure in someone else's shortcomings. Um, perverse, that's kind of a creepy word, but if the person you have unforgiveness against is walking down the sidewalk and they trip and you go, heh heh heh, that's perverse pleasure. And so consider that as you consider bitterness. Bitterness is quick to repeat other sins. Um, bitterness memorizes a list of transgressions and bitterness is happy to talk about it with anybody. Maybe you haven't seen that person in 10 years, but if their name comes up, whoever's in the room, you're going to list out the things that they did to you. Um, I mean, I would count that even in prayer, that if it's just an ongoing list of these are the transgressions this person uh, did against me, that is, um, consider that with bitterness. And bitterness just cancels any any consideration of reconciliation despair of reconciliation with envy envy lusts after someone else's qualities status possessions or relationships your blank there is lusts and if you think about it it's 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 more than just wanting something it's kind of obsessing about something Envy lusts after someone else's qualities, statues, possessions, or relationships. Envy is fixated on that thing that that person has. And, and envy is willing to connive to do whatever to get it. 
Envy is self-seeking and willing to demean others for itself. Envy promotes self. And envy calls God unfair or unwise and connives for gain. So the thing about envy is it's easy to think about it in terms of being kind of a bad person if you envy, but if you start thinking about what someone else has or, or you start looking at their life and you start wishing that that was your life, you are, you, you are inviting in envy. And envy will start to convince you, uh, going back to that blank of cause God unfair, envy will start to convince you that God is not he's not interested in your best, that he's, he's not fair, he's unfair and unwise, and that he doesn't love you like he loves everybody else, and that you're going to have to connive to get what you want because God's not going to do it for you. And it, it can be anything like not just uh, the neighbor's house or, or the neighbor's car, but maybe your friend's kids are, are more well-behaved than yours, or maybe your friend seems to keep getting promoted. It, it could be anything, but when you start to focus on that and you start to want that, that is, you're, that is inviting that seed of envy to set up instead of keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus and staying in a posture of contentment and gratitude. And envy is not content. There's, there is never contentment with envy, and even so much so that envy will hold on to others instead of releasing them. So if you think about those in your sphere of influence, your children, uh, people under your authority, uh, envy wants to hold on to them instead of letting them go. You know, our children were meant to raise to release, but envy uh, does the opposite. Okay, underlings. So just a reminder, these guys are, they're on the team of the stronghold. So they're the guys on the ground maintaining the, the stronghold and, uh, and keeping it intact. Um, the, the underlings are the, the tip of the iceberg, if you will, that, that the stronghold is the iceberg underneath. These are the, the guys that, that um, are keeping it all going. And also, they, these guys can help you sort of identify symptoms um, to identify that stronghold. So the first is a spirit of unforgiveness. If it's just really hard to forgive, um, unforgiveness. Resentment, anger. Anger is an important one to consider because anger is so often connected with hurt. And if you just think about when you walk across the living room and you stub your toe on the coffee table, that that when, as soon as that pain hits your toe, it, it's like it just shoots through your whole body and you just tense up with and grit your teeth with anger that you just stubbed your toe. And so um, if, we're, if, we're, if we find that we're often quick to anger or um, we have a lot of anger, then that can just mean that we have a lot of hurt and, and unforgiveness in that hurt. So it can be easy to feel guilty for anger when in truth it may just mean that there's hurt that needs to be healed there. Hate, uh, retaliation, 
even fantasizing about retaliation, turning up the radio when Carrie Underwood sings about Louisville sluggers and headlights. That's a revenge fantasy, and that's an evil spirit that helps bitterness. Uh, violence, violence is anger and hatred and, and hatred in action. Murder, um, a few more about bitterness, unbelief, and cynicism. Uh, cynicism was one that I wrestled with a lot. Uh, I didn't realize how cynical I was. I think I am kind of a skeptic by uh, nature. However, uh, I was, uh, when I had bitterness, I was much more the sort of naysayer in the room, um, kind of a buzzkill at a joy party, I guess. Um, the spirit of programming that traps you in behaviors and thoughts that you don't want but can't stop. Self-pity, that's the woe is me. Uh, that was a big one for me. I would be stuck in these thought patterns of um, remembering these terrible things that happened to me and that no one was fighting for me and it was an injustice and so people don't understand me because these things happened to me and it was an injustice and no one fought for me. So it was just this spiral and I would just kind of wear it like a big coat. And so uh, that was really eye-opening to me that I could break out of that pattern. And so it makes sense to me why self-pity is so often called the super glue of hell that binds you to the past because it did. It just kept me focused on what had happened to me instead of shifting towards being joyful and hopeful about the future. Um, here's another dandy, a recorder spirit. And that's your next blank there. Recorder keeps record of wrongs, replays hurtful moments in conversations. And when I had a stronghold of bitterness, I, when I first uh, learned about all these things, I was a new mom and I realized that I had that recorder spirit sort of tormenting me. As I was learning to be a new mom, um, when something, if, if I made a mistake with one of my children when they were small, like for example, um, my son, when he was a toddler, fell down the stairs. and and. Every time something like that would happen, I would just immediately have these statements in my mind that you're a bad mom, you should have been paying more attention, you should have, you know, all these, you should have, all these accusation statements that I would just agree with. I didn't know that they were accusations. I thought that this was the truth about me. And I really messed up. I'm a bad mom for these reasons. And, and that recorder spirit would would just keep playing that that image of him falling down the stairs. So it's like, I would see it again and hear those statements about myself and see it again and hear those statements about myself. So that's gross. Oh, let's see. Destruction, death, suicide is one of your blanks. Suicidal thoughts, no forgiveness towards self. Um, fornication, adultery, cursing. Your words have power. So when you're cursing out loud against you or someone else or whatever, there's power in that. And then your last blank there is pornography and slander. All right, um, more of those underlings in the envy and jealousy stronghold. Materialism, idolatry, comparison. Comparison was a big one for me. Uh, comparison will, you know, make you think about how, you know, do you, do you need more of something? 
Do you need more friends, more money, more spirituality? Or it will just cause you to just set yourself up and measure yourself against everyone else. Truly, comparison is death. It, and, and for me, I, I was stuck in this place of, I got to this point, I was in this season of life, looking around, I'm, I'm you know, working, I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm this age, I'm in this season of life. Is this right? Am I doing this right? And I just started looking around at everyone else's life and measuring my life against everyone else's and noticing, well, they're in the same season of life, but their house is bigger or they have a better car or they live in a different neighborhood or they're homeschooling or they're not homeschooling and all these things and just looking around at what everyone else is doing. And, and what I began to realize was that my, I, my, I was fixated on those things. And even First Samuel tells us that Saul kept a jealous eye on David. And I realized that I kind of had a jealous eye on what others were doing, measuring myself against that. So spirit of comparison gross death because it will completely distract you from the purpose that God is doing in you. The the thing that, that God's doing in your life is the thing he's excited about doing in your life. And the spirit of comparison will make you look at everybody else's lives and what God is doing in their lives and convince you that what he's doing in your life isn't good enough and you should be doing that stuff instead. Gross. Uh, another um, one, disbelief that God will provide. So this is another big one. Envy will convince you that God's not, not a provider. Not only is he not a provider, he's not an abundant provider. Not only is he not an abundant provider, but he doesn't love you as much as he loves everybody else. It's just a downward spiral. Um, it will keep you stuck in a place of spiritual poverty. And the thing about that is if, if you believe that God is a a good, good father that loves you and wants to bless you with awesome gifts, then when you see him bless your brothers and sisters with awesome gifts for them, the reaction is one of joy, expectant, faith, excitement, because you know that you're going to have something really awesome coming your way that is unique and special to you because he created you and he knows you. And so the reaction is to celebrate when others are blessed if you believe that he's a good good father but if you don't believe that he's a provider abundant and loves you you're his favorite just like all of his other children then you will not believe that he's going to provide for you all right so health consequences uh, just a review you've learned that we are we are spiritual and physical all mushed in together and we have health consequences that result from having these strongholds set up in our life um, and uh, some of these with bitterness and envy are aneurysms uh, hemorrhoids colon cancer a big one that sticks out to me is um, osteoporosis for envy that um, Proverbs even says that envy rots the bones now let's get into what God says Let's dig into the word about this stuff. Romans 12, 21 says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
Well, that's easy to say, but when you decide that you're ready to break apart this bitterness and envy in your life, you are ready to overcome evil with good. And I see bitterness as sort of this hard shell that it, it's, it kind of over time sets up this hard shell over our hearts that causes us to not be open to any more healing or any more growth or any more of the things that God wants to do in our lives. It just closes us off, um, that we just become hard. And, and so when we make the decision to break apart bitterness and get that out of our lives, we are opening ourselves up to more healing and salvation and freedom and, and awesome stuff that God wants to do. And so let's do it. Overcome evil with good. Don't let your past rule you. If you choose to stay in bitterness, you're choosing to let your past rule you. Don't let your past rule you. Ephesians 4.26, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. I do use this verse sometimes in my marriage because when my husband and I have a fight, he can just go right to sleep. I don't know how he can do that, and I can't sleep because I'm still really mad, and so it's probably not the right thing to do, but I do sometimes. Don't let the sun go down. So anyway, the blank there is deal with your bitterness. Deal with your bitterness. Ephesians 4, 29 to 32, in that passage, we're told to get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So we're going to talk more about this, that we're forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. It's so important to get that. No matter what has happened to you, no matter how you were hurt or abused, the devil and his evil spirits meant to hurt you. They meant to bring you down with it. And that's your blank there before Romans 8, 28. That no matter what has happened to you, if it was bad, the devil wanted to use it for his purpose. But we have a promise in Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God wants to use your hurt for good. The more that you're willing to forgive, and invite his healing into that hurt in your life, the more he can use that. And so if you just think about every single hurt, every single injustice that you're ready to forgive and God comes in, that he can use all of it. He doesn't want to waste any of it. And so that's really exciting, that the more you want to forgive, the more he wants to use your story. Genesis 37 has a great story about this. This is about Joseph and his brothers. The gist of the story, Joseph and, um, with Joseph and his brothers, Joseph's father loved him the most, and all his older brothers knew it. And to make it worse, Joseph told them that he had a dream that he would rule over them someday. And they had hatred against him, and envy, and jealousy, and resentment, and all that stuff. 
and they plotted to sell him and kill him. And spoiler alert, he does end up having great power and ruling, and they end up in a position of needing to receive from him as there's a famine in the land. And Joseph has the opportunity to forgive and show mercy and encourages them with the truth of you meant it to harm me, but God meant it for good. So dig into Genesis 37 for a great story about Joseph and all the stuff that happened to him and that and how in the end he chose forgiveness and mercy and how God used all of it. So how do we forgive? Can we forgive? Can we really forgive? Can we really just say, okay, I forgive you? Well, no, not without Jesus we can't, and not emotionally. None of this has to do with feeling like you want to forgive someone. We don't wake up and just suddenly have these great feelings of forgiveness and that we just want to, just want to let everybody in our lives off the hook. That's not what this is about. This is more about um, an act of, of faith and more about something that Jesus says that we can do and we trust that. So in uh, John 20, 19 to 23, uh, this is when Jesus comes to see the disciples after he's resurrected. And he says, we'll skip down a little bit. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So right here, Jesus commissions forgiveness to the disciples. Now let's take a look at Luke 5, 20 to 25. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Here's what I want you to take from this stuff. Forgiveness is not a suggestion. It's a direction. It's our responsibility. And having Jesus means it's also a capability. So we have the responsibility to forgive. We've been commissioned to forgive. And we are able to forgive. Jesus says that we can do it. So for most people, these, these two points are hard to swallow because we have so much hurt and pain attached to who and what we haven't forgiven. And a side note on that is, I want to remind you that our enemy is principalities and the dark force, forces of this world, that our enemies are not flesh and blood. So the devil uses people as vessels to cause hurt. And we are forgiving people, and we're in a battle with those principalities. And so now, and, and so, though, but that pain and that hurt is attached to who and what we haven't forgiven. And so 
the idea of going forward in forgiveness is a step of faith. This is an act of faith that I am ready to say, I'm going to forgive. And in faith, I believe that my emotions are going to catch up, that healing is going to happen. And I'm not going to think about this thing anymore. Or if it comes up, it's not going to feel so painful. I'm not going to be reliving it. And so it kind of sounds like in faith, I forgive Sally. I believe God will revive my emotions and heal my hurt. And you take that step of faith, and then God shows up, and it's pretty awesome. Okay, I love this part. Matthew 18 to 21 to 35 is called uh, the parable of the unmerciful servant. And you have a blank there. Matthew 18, 21 to 35. The title of the parable is sort of your first clue. It's about the unmerciful servant, and we're seeking mercy. Um, we like to call this one the terrible parable. It doesn't really end well. Peter asks Jesus about forgiveness, and, and here's where Jesus takes off with the story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver, silver coins, which is actually not very much. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused and said he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told the master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So let's look at that uh, verse 34 again. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And in King James translation, it actually says, handed over to the tormentors to be tortured. And if you just think about that for a second, when you, are, when, when you have been uh, hurt and you have unforgiveness towards someone, every time that memory comes up, you just think about how painful it was and the more you think about it the more you think about it and the, and the more you're focused on how wrong it was and how angry it made you and how hurtful it was and it's just this uh, this spiral of awful feelings and no one wants to feel that way no one wants to feel stuck in those angry hurt negative feelings but how do we get out of it well it does feel like torture and Jesus is telling us here that God allows that. If you choose not to forgive, he says, 
Well, you're just going to be stuck in that spiral of all those painful emotions and, and awful memories. Um, so when we choose to forgive, uh, we don't have to be stuck in that. And Jesus says here, if you don't forgive how you've been forgiven, this is what's going to happen. So God's ministry to us is one of forgiveness and compassion. I mean, consider Jesus even on the cross said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In his suffering in that moment, he forgave on the cross. And so you have been called to a ministry of reconciliation also. And that's a blank there for you to fill in. Who's been called to a ministry of reconciliation? You have. And remember, you're capable, you're responsible, you, you, you have a responsibility to do it, and you've been called to it. Try to keep the mindset of what others have done to me does not equal what was done to Jesus on the cross. You know, we think that if we hold on to that anger uh, and we hold on to that unforgiveness against somebody that we're getting even with them, that somehow we're like, oh, I'll show them, I will never forgive them. And that'll teach them. And they're just over there living their happy life, not thinking about you for a second. And you're over here, oh, I won't ever forgive them. And they're going on vacation and you're sitting at home not forgiving. And that's lame. And that's not freedom. You're not showing them. You're just in bondage. So there's a really wise phrase to keep in mind when you think about not forgiving that not forgiving is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. So when you choose to forgive and you choose to bless and you release that person, you are bringing, you're bringing into action God's goodness. Um, and Romans 6.23 reminds us that not to hold on to anybody's sin. If you do, you will get their death. Hold on to nobody else's sin. You're blank, there is nobody. So how do we forgive? We still want to know, but what do I do, Kelly, you want to know? I'm going to tell you. We forgive as God forgives, just as the scripture we've read. We forgive as God forgives. And so think about how God forgives. So we're sinners. We're in debt to him. And Jesus paid our debt, right? So with the gift of Jesus, God brought our debt to zero. So we were in debt. He brings our debt to zero. So now we're debt-free. But he doesn't stop there. He, if you think about being debt-free is in terms of money is great, but if you don't have any money, then you're still kind of stuck. But God doesn't do that. He blesses us. So he puts money in our account. He gives us resources. So just think about all the ways that God has blessed you. Just start with today. Did you wake up this morning? When you woke up, was there food in the cabinet? Did you wake up in a, in a warm bed? Start there and just consider all the blessings that God has given you. And that, that is how he forgives. And so what does that look like for us? Well, so we forgive that way too. And so what you want to think about is when you're forgiving someone, you want to forgive that person according to the hurt that, uh, that has happened. 
and then you want to speak a blessing over them, to them, bless them in that same way. Okay, so what does this look like for us? How do we apply this forgive and bless and release? Well, there's a formula for that, and it's exciting because it, you'll have something to do, something to follow when, as you go through your journey of forgiveness as you explore your life, but also going forward, you'll have sort of a, okay, I know what to do now when someone hurts me instead of just kind of sitting in your hurt. So we're going to go through these steps and then I'll give you a couple of examples. You're going to name it, name the hurt, and then you're going to forgive. You're going to make a declaration of forgiveness. And then you're going to break the connection between you and that person. Think about the fact that when you have unforgiveness against a person, that that person wronged you, that you are connected with that person forever. But when you forgive, you break that connection. So you're going to do that. And then invite the Holy Spirit in to just start that, that ooey-gooey, lovey healing process that is so good and then you're gonna bless them. So here's some examples. When I went through this uh, class and, and went through my uh, bitterness portion, I started making a, an unforgiveness list. And like I mentioned earlier, I started asking God to remind me of some things. And there was a particular person that came up that I hadn't thought about in 10 years. Well, probably because I didn't want to think about them. And it was a boss that I had when I got out of college. I, it was uh, my second job out of college. Um, and it was a new city and kind of, um, it was definitely in my uh, degree area, but kind of also a new type of role and I definitely needed lots of training and didn't know what I was doing as any entry level, fresh out of college person would be. And I came into this job every day asking questions, ready to be trained, and my boss would meet me with ridicule and that evolved into name calling and I guess you could say bullying or harassing Harassing, not the sexual kind, just plain old harassing. Um, he was the director of the department and he started making up nicknames for me. He thought that I had bad posture, so he called me stuff like Quasimodo and stuff like that. And he would, in uh, some, some other names, and he would tell everybody in the department to call me that stuff. And so if we were in a staff meeting, and my name came up, he would correct the people talking, he would correct the person and say, oh no, no, that's not Kelly. And then he would insist that they call me by one of those derogatory nicknames that he was calling me. And most of the people that I worked with were my parents' age or definitely older than me, further in their career, and I was 22 or something. So, that was awful. And 
I didn't know what to do. And I finally uh, found another job and I quit and moved on, never saw him again. Got a job in a different state, ended up getting married, moved across state, never saw him again, and didn't really think about it again. And when I went through this process, which was a good 15 years later, um, you know, I felt like God was telling me to write this guy's name down. And I realized that I didn't even want to say his name out loud. So when I was with my drill group and it came time for us to share our lists, I was realizing that I didn't even want to say his name. And so while he was only in my life for four or six months, clearly the enemy had used him as quite a vessel of hurt and damage. And I started to realize that there were some conclusions I drew about me uh, in terms of my career and my capability and in my professional life and stuff like that, all because of this lousy experience at this place where I worked. So, for good measure, we'll, we will just forgive Bob again. And so I'm going to say, I'm going to name the hurt and I'm going to say, Bob humiliated me in the office when he told everybody in the office to call me hunchback and he made me feel uh, he made me feel stupid and he made me feel um, incapable and that my job wasn't secure and and for uh, and and so I forgive Bob for those things. I forgive Bob for rebuking me loudly in front of my colleagues at a um, work luncheon. And so I, so again, I'm going through the steps. So I'm naming those things and and I'm also declaring that forgiveness. So I need to name what he did to me and then forgive. Now, notice I'm not saying, God, please help me forgive, or God, I really want to try to forgive. I'm not saying that. I am declaring. I forgive him. It is a statement of faith. So it, some of these things you're going to do, it's going to be painful. It's going to hurt. You're going to be crying. It's okay. Cry. It's going to be tough to get through, but you have to name it. You are taking the power back when you name it. You are, you're, you're taking the secret away when you name it. You're bringing it into the light. It's not in the darkness anymore. Mold grows in the dark. It's not a secret anymore. It doesn't have power over you anymore. The people in your drill group have all been through some crap. No one's going to judge you. Everybody's thinking about their own list they're going to try to get through, and they're going to hope you encourage them. So you can do it. Okay, so I named it. I forgive Bob for that stuff that I, I listed. Um, and I forgive it. And I am breaking the connection that has remained between me and Bob all this time because I never forgave him. I'm breaking that connection. And in the forgiveness, I'm declaring that it's dissolved. There's no more tie there between me and him. And 
now invite the Holy Spirit in. So Holy Spirit, come and just fill me up in every way with your forgiveness and healing in that place and your power that those memories in me be dissolved and that those hurt uh, those those hurtful memories and and thoughts and emotions uh, dissolve and that this incident in my life that brought uh, pain and and lies into me that it's it's gone and Holy Spirit come in and bring your truth about me bring in your your truth declarations about who I am as a professional and um, I was going to say as a young woman, but it was a long time ago, and now I would just say a woman. Um, that was a joke about my age. And so then the final step is bless. May God bless Bob, and I'm going to bless specific to the hurt. So remember what I said that he, that that it was in the work environment, and he was, um, he he verbally bullied me and harassed me. So I'm going to bless specifically to that. So may God bless Bob with encouraging, life-giving, building words in his work environment. May God bless Bob with fantastically encouraging, teaching bosses and superiors that, that uh, take him under their wing and grow him and build into him and, and support his career that he may go on to achieve all his career goals. And may Bob be surrounded by people in all of his work environments and in his home environments that are loving and kind and supportive and, and caring and encouraging and share their lunch with him and offer to buy his lunch and Take him out for happy hour. That's how it works. Also, even more awesome news. God told Abraham, he promised Abraham, I will curse those that curse you and I will bless those that bless you. So I've already told you, you know this, that words have power. And God promised to Abraham that he was going to do that. And, and so that applies to everybody. So don't curse me, because if you curse me, God says it's going to come back on you. But you can bless me, because God says that's going to come back on you. So I love blessing people, because the more I bless you, the more it's going to come back on me. And I can tell you I've experienced that. I believe it, and I've experienced it. It's a BOGO. It's awesome. And so as you put these steps into practice, as you, as you get through this, you, you'll start to work those forgiveness muscles. And like I said, you've got this practical application tool that you can use. So here's another example that um, a friend of mine shared with me when she went through this, this class and learned about this. She um, had moved to a new neighborhood and she's a major runner. She loves to run. Running is how she clears her head. Running is how she gets her alone time. And every day after work, she just couldn't wait to get out the door and go for a run. And in this new neighborhood, there was this sort of really cranky uh, 
neighbor down the street, we'll call him George, and if he was out in his yard as she was on a run, he would just yell at her cranky obscenities. And it really wrecked her, her run, it really wrecked her experience. And so after he would do that, she would keep running, but she would be stuck in, what is that guy's problem? And she would just be stuck in this funky about what she was thinking, about thinking about what he had said to her. And uh, it started to discourage her from going on a run, and she was still trying to find other routes because she was new to the area. And um, all because of this, this, this cranky guy in, in, uh, in the yard. And so she came to me one day and she was like, I'm so excited because I went for a run and Cranky George was in the yard yelling at me. And when he did that, I immediately knew, oh, I can just forgive and bless him. And so while she was running, she said out loud, God, I forgive George for saying that stuff to me and I forgive him for acting scary at me when I run by and and I, you know, I, and I don't agree with that stuff that he's saying and in the name of Jesus that helped her release it, which is the other part we were talking about is after this process you just release it. You just release it back to God. And then he takes care of it. It's his deal. And when she did that, she experienced immediate freedom. She wasn't thinking about him anymore, and she was back to enjoying her run. She, had, she knew what to do with it. So as you go through this list, there's going to be painful things that come up. On my list, I had all my parents. I had all my step-parents. I had um, people in my life that were deceased. And, and people I hadn't seen in a long time, and people that I see every day, i.e. husband. Um, and, and so, again, none of this stuff was okay what happened to you, but it's important to talk about it, and that's why you have drill groups. And you're gonna be supporting one another and encouraging one another as you name this stuff. And it can't be, it, it can't be, um, I forgive my mom for leaving me, abandoning me, and not spending time with me. That can't be what it is. It has to be, I forgive my mom for not picking me up on Friday night when my bag was packed and I was waiting on the porch for her to come get me and take me to spend the night with her, take her, take me to the movies, and she never came and I had to go back inside in my dad's house and I forgive my mom for that. And that's a true story. And I do, I, my mom, I forgive my mom for that. And may, and may God bless my mom with, with experiences of um, hope and promises kept. That anytime someone makes a promise to her, that it's kept a double portion, especially between her and her Heavenly Father. So. That was on my list from a long time ago. That's all I can remember. But anyway, so there we go. Okay, so let's go to envy. A little more about envy. Certainly, envy pops up in the Bible. Uh, many people are familiar with the story of Cain and Abel. Um, and Cain's envy led to uh, bitterness and accusation and ultimately murdering his brother Abel. You can read about that in Genesis 4. 
Uh, James chapter 3 uh, calls out envy, and uh, 1 Corinthians 13, of course, tells us that love does not envy. I want to encourage you with this. A big weapon against envy is gratitude. If you can begin to practice an attitude of gratitude, I did not plan that, an attitude of gratitude, you will defeat envy. You will find that you can be content in any circumstance. And so when you wake up in the morning, just start thinking about what you can be thankful for. Before you go to bed at night, what in that day can you be thankful for? We talked earlier about how envy takes your eye off of the prize, Jesus, and causes you to look at other stuff, to keep a jealous eye on other things, like Saul. Hebrews 12.2 says, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So if you expect that Jesus has good stuff coming your way, that he has healing coming your way, and you've got blessings and things coming your way, you are expecting him to perfect your faith. And so keep your eyes fixed on him, and that's going to happen. Don't give in to the winds of comparison. You know, I just think about like when Peter got out of the boat and he was walking towards Jesus. He was walking towards Jesus on the water in faith, looking at Jesus. When he started to get caught up in the distraction around him, then he started to sink. Well, he cried out to Jesus, and Jesus picked him up, and it worked out. It's a win-win. But Jesus said, you know, what happened to your faith? And envy can crush your faith, but if you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, your faith will be perfected. And so that can happen if you really work those gratitude muscles. In every situation, what can I find right now to be grateful for? If you are a single mom and you had to call call work that you can't come in because your little girl has to stay home because she's throwing up and she can't go to school and you're not going to get paid. Even in that moment, what can you find to be thankful for? Maybe it's you get to spend a little more time with your little girl. I don't know, but in every situation, instead of focusing on what you don't have, think about what, what you do have. And that is going to really exercise um, that's going to help you really get rid of envy. Remember, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. That's James 1.17. So just focus on every good and perfect gift that the Father of heavenly lights has given you. Awesome. Gratitude. Okay, so receiving this week. This is such a great part, too. I love this part. What are you going to be receiving this week? I think you have a bunch of blanks on your, your paper there, and I'm going to tell you that these, that's all these passages I'm about to give you. Um, marinate in this stuff this week as you prepare to break out of bitterness and envy. Psalm 23, 3 and 5. That's such a good one to sit in. Get your soul restored so that you can eat in the presence of your enemies. Titus 3, 3 through 5. At one time we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness 
and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us. His mercy. Micah 7, 18. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. As you're marinating in these things this week, ask God to remind you of his mercy. Ask him to remind you of all the moments that he has shown you mercy. And ask him to, to grow your mercy muscles. Also, marinate in this. When it comes to jealousy, there's only one kind of jealousy that's okay, and that is God's jealousy. God is jealous. He is jealous for you and for your whole heart and soul. He's a jealous God, and he doesn't want to share you with all that other stuff that you're looking at and thinking about. He doesn't want to share you with any of that. He wants you all to himself. That's exciting. Here's some passages. Exodus 25, Exodus 34, 14, Deuteronomy 4, 24, 2 Corinthians 11, 2. So your homework for this week. We talked about this a little bit earlier. You're going to get into that list. Start thinking about the hurts and make a list. Make a list of all the people that have hurt you. And ask God to remind you. I did that, and, and like I said, a particular place popped up that I didn't know would pop up, and it turned out that it was something that I really didn't want to deal with, I didn't want to face. But as you make that list, remember that this is, these are all the places where God wants to bring you more healing and more salvation and more freedom. And so be open to that. As you think of offenses and hurts, consider do you get an emotional ping when you think of it? Um, that's definitely a clue. You need to write it down. And like I mentioned before, put your, put your spouse on there. Um, put your parents on there. You may need to put your kids on there. Um, if you have a baby and your baby is crying every night and you can't sleep and you're mad at your baby, that's okay. Just put baby on the list. Um, and don't, it's, it's fine to put people on there that are deceased. Um, it's fine to put God on the list. Um, I have a friend who um, was really, really bitter towards God and actually looked like a pretty nice, plain old Christian. But um, when it all came out, there was deep bitterness towards God. And he doesn't want that. He wants you to feel better. Um, okay, so you're going to make your list, and um, in your small groups, you are going to practice that, um, that uh, recipe that we gave you earlier about um, forgiving and releasing and blessing, and I'm telling you, it's fun, because when somebody cuts you off in traffic, you don't have to be all salty or wonder what to do. You just say, I forgive green car for cutting me off in traffic even though it was my way that's not okay and may God bless him with green lights the, the rest of his days driving and may God bless him with fantastic gas mileage and that blessing's coming back to me so do that and 
teach it to your children. It gives your children a, a way to understand how to um, deal with the, the unforgiveness that they're holding on to. When you start to do this, um, you will see that this process of forgiveness, it unleashes God's mercy and unleashes his goodness. It sets into motion God's power to overcome evil with good. And because I'm so excited about blessing, I'm going to bless you right now. So everybody here tonight in this teaching, may God bless you with big, full amounts of, of healing and freedom as you continue this journey. May God bless you with encouragement and great friends in your drill groups to lean into. May God bless you with lighter loads and in the days to come, delightful surprises of how he loves you specifically and he's even more excited than you about this fantastic journey towards freedom. Amen. Yay, thanks.